0: Well, are you ready to engage with episode two in our series called, When the Devil Knocks? Right off the top, let's just clarify one important detail. We are not here to focus on the devil, all right? We are focusing on equipping Jesus' followers to know how to do battle against the one who hates God and hates you. His mission is very clear. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that matters to the heart of God, and you matter to God. The good news is, greater is he who is in us than the enemy who dwells within this world. And so, I want to just dive in today and get right into it. This is what the Apostle Paul says about this real battle that we're in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, the people who drive you over the edge... They're not the real enemies, but our battle is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. There is more to this world than just what we see. There's a spiritual world as well as a physical world, and we fight against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So if you missed last episode, we're talking about our spiritual enemy. He has many different names throughout scripture. He's called uh, Satan, he's called Lucifer, he's called the deceiver, the destroyer, the accuser, the father of lies, he's called the prince of darkness. And in this message series, we are looking into three different images or metaphors of how we can think of our spiritual enemy. In last episode, we looked at the deceiver and we talked about this. We said, who is the devil? He is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Next episode, we're going to talk about the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. But today I want to talk about the accuser. Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Have you ever done anything that you regret? No? Okay, well, I have. So you just use your imagination and then see if you can somehow relate. Sometimes I get impatient. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes when I am frustrated that my goals have been thwarted and I have left the time for giving grace behind me, I can be impatient. And sometimes I get snarky when I get impatient and I really like to compound my negative behavior. Why settle for one way to offend those people around me and ruin my relationships when I can add five or six together and really get it done right? Right. So when I'm frustrated, I'm impatient, and I am snarky, and I am sarcastic. I allow others to know of my displeasure. They will need to feel it so they will wise up in the future, right? And I can remember one time, not nearly enough in the ancient past to make me feel comfortable, there was too much noise in the van, and while I'm driving, and we're going to the beach. And why is there so much nitpicking going on? Why is there so much bugging? Why is there too much fighting and disagreeing and yelling? So to counteract this toxic level of yelling, fighting, and disagreeing, I quickly spin my head around and offered a series of roars of disapproval. We're going to have a great time, and we're going to the beach, and why can't you? And you better stop, and blah, 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 (coughs) blah. And then I turned my head back, Around And I realize I'm coming up way too fast on a red light with cars that are in front of me. And I stamp on those brakes as hard as I can and we lay some rubber down. My life flashes before my eyes and I steer onto the shoulder of the road and, and, and feel the van jolt to a stop. And I'm red in the face from anger and fear and embarrassment all at the same time. And I pulled right over to the, the side of the road I could barely speak. Oh I was kind of shaking a little bit and I got out of the, the van and I walked around the front and over to the passenger side and I opened the door and I asked a bewildered Cheryl Can you please drive? I had far too many feelings to count at that point. And, and do you know what happened that day? And then for at least 3 days after that I experienced fiery darts of accusations like you cannot imagine. You're not a man of God. You you, you shouldn't ever be preaching. You're not worthy to be married to her. You're so unrighteous. You're so filthy. You're so undeserving. You are so stupid. You're such a bad example, not only to your own children, but also to the other children who were in the other car. How can anyone see you as their pastor? How can anyone ever look up to you as a man of God? You let them down. You let everyone down. And then it just kept spiraling, literally, for a few days. And at the same time, a couple minutes after this happened, after I'd calmed down, in the van, I apologized to everyone, individually, but publicly, in my family, for my neglect, for my anger, and for my loss of control. I was horrified to see a plan exposed before me like that. Steal, kill, destroy. And I went running down the path. Then it's like, days of I'm not a good dad and, and all of a sudden there's, there's this guilt and there's well too much time working at church and you can't even live it out and too much time away from family and now that you, you finally take some time to do something with the family and then you, you mess it up, right? You messed it up so badly. These are the stories that my kids will remember retelling their therapy sessions later in life. He was not available enough. And then when he was, he scared us all with his anger and with his bad driving. So I'm a failure. I'm not a good dad. I shouldn't be a pastor. And on and on and on and on. Fiery darts and accusations. But but what I want you to see, what I hope you'll understand, and that you can relate to these voices, these voices were not from my heavenly father who loves me. They were from my enemy, who hates me. Everyone from n one how many of you have ever experienced something like that, where you hear the accusations, you're unworthy, you're not good enough, you're not lovable, you're not trustworthy, and on, and on, and on. Let your brothers and sisters know that they are not alone. Right, So if you have ever had a moment of a barrage of the fiery accusations come on you, come at you, then l- please let your friends know, declare it in the chat feed. Just type me too. Type me too and, and then realize that it's not just you. Me too. I have heard the voice of the accuser. Me too. It comes from our enemy who is known as the accuser. And my prayer for you is this. In Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon turned against you will succeed, that you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. By the power of the risen Christ, may you silence every voice risen to accuse you. Okay, so let's talk about the devil, the accuser. This is what the apostle John called the devil in in Revelation 12, 10. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah for the, and okay, now watch this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. And the, the Greek word uh, translated as accuser is the word diablos. It's used 35 different times in the New Testament. It's translated as devil, adversary, or accuser. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day, Before God, day and night, night and day and day and night and on and on. And he accuses. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been hurled down. He is defeated by the risen Christ. He has been hurled down. But he doesn't stop accusing day and night. What the accuser will do is before you ever sin, he lies to you. And he'll say, go ahead. Rage against your kids. Go ahead and yell a little bit. Let them know who's boss." Go ahead and drive recklessly because they deserve it. And afterwards, the tone changes. It's the same voice, but new messaging. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. You're undeserving. You're nothing. So before you sin, the devil says, go ahead and do it. It's no big deal. You know what? Everybody's doing it, right? You're not going to get caught. Besides, Honestly, who really cares, all right? It's your life anyways. And after you do it, oh, you're pathetic. You're no good. God doesn't love you. God will never, ever use you again. You've gone too far this time. Before you sin, he lies. After you sin, what does he do? He accuses. You know what? If you're taking notes, if you're writing anything down, I think this is powerful. When the devil talks to you about God, he lies. He lies. Did God really say? You know, that's what we talked about in episode one. When the devil talks to you about you, though, he accuses. You're no good. You're pathetic. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. We're talking today about how to overcome the voice of the accuser. To help us with that, we're going to look at a very powerful, a prophetic text from the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Old Testament. So turn in your Bible to Zechariah 3. Let me give you the context, okay? Zechariah has a vision and sees this heavenly courtroom. So let's imagine a courtroom. So you're in a courtroom, and we're going to see three different characters in this story. First of all, there's God, and God is the judge. He's the judge in real life, but he's the judge in this story. And then there's Joshua, and Joshua is the high priest. He's the one on trial. He's the defendant. And then there's Satan. Satan is the prosecutor. Satan is the one who was trying to convince the judge, God, of Joshua's guilt. He is the accuser. And what's interesting to know, pay attention to this part, is that Satan actually appears to have a case about Joshua's guilt. Because he's going to say, Joshua's robes are very dirty and a high priest's robes must be clean. Filth is always a sign or it's a picture, a metaphor for sin. And so Satan appears to have a case. Perhaps Joshua is the high priest and he really is guilty. He's on trial. God is the judge. And Joshua is now being attacked by the accuser. And here's how the story goes. Zechariah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, let's time out a second here and pause. I want to talk to you about the angel of the Lord. So we need to jump out of the story. Angel of the Lord here is most likely Jesus. And you may say, hey, how is Jesus in the Old Testament? Let me teach you a word that I learned in my vast years of training, okay? It's a word that I haven't used all that frequently, let's be honest, since Bible school. The word I learned is Christophany. All right? A Christophany is an appearance of Christ in the Bible in a non physical form. There are many Christophanies, but here's just one example, okay? It's in the book of Daniel. There were three Hebrew teenagers who wouldn't bow down to worship this giant idol. So they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and suddenly there's a fourth man in the furnace. There's another in the fire standing next to me. Another who stood with them in the fire as they were not being consumed. And who was that? Who was that fourth person? That was Christ appearing in Scripture in a non-physical form. That is a Christophany. You get that word for free. It cost me years and thousands of dollars. So you're welcome, all right? This is the angel of the Lord. So let's look at it again. Back to the courtroom. That's better. Here we are in the courtroom. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side. And what was the devil doing? What he always does. He was there to accuse him. He's accusing Joshua. So verse 2, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, he may be guilty. Maybe he is guilty, but he's being saved from the punishment. Verse 3, now here's the truth. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. He was dirty when he should have been clean. Imagine this. He's standing before God, and he apparently is guilty. So, okay, we need to go back to uh, the regular world again. Have you ever been somewhere and you were way underdressed? I'm grossly underdressed. I remember when I was asked to speak at a special outreach event that another church was hosting. Merlin was still very young, and we had arrived early. Everything was set up. It's now about 15 minutes before my section starts. And here I am. I'm holding Merlin, right? Apparently, he's not feeling well. And I end up with barf on my shoulder and down my back, and then poop on my shirt. So what do you do? I did the teaching time for this outreach events in a slightly smelly t-shirt. And imagine, though, standing before God. You're not just underdressed, but you've got sin on you. You've got the stink and the, and the stain of sin on you, and God is holy, and you're in His presence. Oh my gosh, you just feel so incredibly guilty. Then imagine the prosecutor, the accuser, the devil, sitting there pointing out what you did wrong. For me, It could have been that that time that I uh, decided to experiment with shoplifting. And even today, in telling the story, I prefer to say shoplifting and not stealing. But you've stolen stuff, right? I mean, sure, of course you have. And And then haven't you also stolen a guy's sweatshirt who lived in your dorm when you were in Bible school? I mean, doesn't everybody do that? Well, I did. Maybe you yelled at your kids and and almost crashed the van. Haven't you ever been a bad example in front of kids? And don't you let people down again and again and again? And I could just feel myself shrinking as the devil accuses and I say, Stop saying all those things about me in front of everyone. (coughs) Stop telling the truth about me. I don't know what he'd say for you. Didn't you lie? Didn't you cheat? Didn't you commit adultery? Don't you battle lust? I mean, there you are looking at porn all week long, and then you stroll back around church acting like you really love Jesus. Didn't you file for bankruptcy? I mean, you couldn't even pay your own bills. Didn't you let somebody down? Didn't you hurt someone? Didn't you cheat your boss? And on and on and on and on and on. The devil accuses, hurling guilt and, and shame and condemnation. And this is what the devil does. He's the accuser who accuses God's people day in and day out. Now, before we look at the rest of the story, I want to show you some really good news, okay? Because we've looked at who the devil is, but I also want to look at who Jesus is. Who's the devil? If you're taking notes again, the devil is the accuser. Who is Jesus? The good news. The great news is that Jesus is your advocate. 1 John 2, 1 gives us amazing news. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Who is your advocate? He is Jesus Christ, the only one who is truly righteous, We have the one who accuses again and again and again and again. But we also have the Son of God who is our advocate. He is our friend. He pitches our case. He defends us whenever the enemy attacks us. So let's, back to the story, back to the courtroom. The devil is trying to prove Joshua's guilt. Jesus is the defense, verse 4. The angel says to those who were standing before Joshua, take off Joshua's filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Yes, you're dirty. Yes, you're guilty. Yes, you may be unworthy, but I'm taking away that which shows the residue of your sin. And I'm putting fine garments on you. I'm putting on you something you cannot earn and you did not even deserve. And I'm doing it not because you were good. But this shows just how good I am. Take off those filthy clothes. See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Put the robes of righteousness on him. See, I have forgiven you. And this perfectly parallels the story that Jesus told, recorded in Luke's gospel in chapter 15. He said there was a father who had two sons, and one son said, I want what's mine, baby. Give it to me. I want to go out and I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do and I am no longer living according to your rules, buddy. So the son went off and he lived wildly. He partied hard. He's always playing truth or dare and he keeps choosing dare just so he can keep living on the edge. And then one day he wakes up. He realizes, I messed up. Now what do I do? And listen, some of you This is exactly where you are right now. I thought this is what I wanted. I thought I was getting what I wanted, but this is so far from where I ever wanted to be. And he was hurting because of his sin. And Jesus says he came to his senses. He realized, even the servants have it better at my father's place. Maybe if I go back, maybe he'll take me in as a servant. But when he started coming back to town, he had no idea that his father wasn't mad. But his father was on the edge of town every day, watching, waiting. Would today be the day that my son comes home? And when his father saw the son, the father ran toward the son. And even though the son was filthy and dirty, the father took off his very own robe that was completely clean, and he put it over the filth of the son so that when the father looked at the son, he didn't see the residue of sin. But instead, he saw the outward righteousness of the Father. And he said, you are always a son to me. To someone listening or watching right now, your Father is not mad at you. He loves you. Come home. Let's come home and celebrate. This is the perfect picture of what happened in Zechariah 3. The high priest was guilty. And the angel of the Lord, Christ in the Old Testament, says, take off those dirty robes. Put on the fine garment. See, I have taken your sin away. It's all by the grace of God. I've taken your sin away. And then in verse 5, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Six, then the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. Here's your assignment. Please notice what the angel did not say. The angel didn't say, now, Joshua, after your poor behavior, we're going to have to put you on a year of probation, okay? And if you live up to our standards, then perhaps at the end of the year, you can enter back into the service of the Lord at an entry-level position. And if you're really, really good over a three-year period, we might move you up in the ranks. But you've got to be good. If you have any doubt, if you have any sin, you're going to be taken out of the game because we can't have someone of your character and someone of your nature serving our God. Hey, we don't see any of that. Pay attention to exactly what we see. Look at verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience and keep my requirements, Joshua, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts, And I will give you a place among these standing here. The angel ordered, take off the filthy garments, put on the fine garments, and then he said essentially, return to the temple. Keep on serving the Lord. And I don't know who needs to hear this, But you've been living under the accusations of the enemy. You can't. You never will. After what you did, you've been away for far too long. You're no good. You, You have doubts all the time. You've battled with this and you've battled with that. And God says, no, 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 no. I have forgiven your sin. Get back to the temple and keep on serving the Lord. Get back in the game. Keep on loving others. Keep on pointing them to Jesus. Live eyes up. Keep on loving in my name. Keep on lifting up my name. Stop focusing on your sin and start focusing on your mission. Focus on your calling. Now, uh, I, I need to come back into this world to make sure this part gets clear, okay? I need you to know that this next part is all in the real world, this world. How do we know? Whenever, we, whenever we've done something wrong and we start to hear that, you know, that inner sense of something, we need as Jesus followers to learn to clearly distinguish between the devil's accusations and the spirit's convictions, because they're very, very different. The devil accuses, but the spirit convicts. And what does an ac- accusation do? Whenever the devil accuses, it drives us away from God. I, I'm unworthy. I can't even go into God's presence. (coughs) But conviction leads us towards God. I need his grace. I need his mercy. Accusations make us feel guilty and ashamed and dirty and distant. But conviction shows us our need. It pulls us into the goodness and the grace of God. And whenever Satan accuses you, he wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel shame. He wants you to feel unlovable and unworthy. But whenever the Spirit convicts you, the Spirit, he draws you to the presence of God to experience his grace and his goodness. It's the conviction that leads you to confess your sins, Because God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's the conviction that draws you into the goodness of God, where His presence says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whenever the Spirit convicts, we step towards God. We step into His grace because He is good through and through. I like it the way one preacher said this, and it goes something like this. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. He may know what you did, but he doesn't hold your sin against you. The Apostle Paul beautifully describes this whole process and how do we battle against the evil one. When we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, we don't fight as humans fight. We fight with spiritual weapons. So from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Four, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Whenever the enemy starts lying to us and and accusing and pointing the finger, telling us what we're not, we take that thought captive and we fight with spiritual weapons. So what do we have? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith which quenches the fiery darts of the evil one, the belt of truth, the shoes prepared with the gospel of peace. And we have that one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we take the accusations of the enemy. We capture them. We hold them. And we make those thoughts obedient to Christ. Whenever we hear, you're a failure. You're no good. We draw the sword and we reject the lies. And we respond with the truth. Take out your sword. It is worthwhile to even respond out loud. Let your ears hear your voice. Declare it. Don't mumble. Let the devil hear you say it. He can plant a thought in your head, but he can't read your thoughts. So are you ready to go? Are you ready to battle? You meet the accusations, and then you spin around them, and you respond with the truth as you engage in the dance of war. Let's go. No, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God is punishing you. God wants you to suffer. No, my father is a good God. He gives good gifts to his children that he loves. This is an attack from the evil one. And what the evil one meant for harm, my God will use for good. I may be going through a hard time right now, but hey, I consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever I face trials of many kinds, because I know the testing of my faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in me so that I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then the devil says, after what you did, God could never use you. God doesn't love you. Oh, you're in big trouble. No. Again, I take that thought, And I make it obedient to Christ. I will rejoice in the Lord always. I I will say it again. I will rejoice because the Lord is near. I am not anxious for anything but in everything. By prayer and petition, I make my requests known to my God. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And the devil says, God doesn't love you. God is not with you. And I say, no, 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 no. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor demons, nor principalities, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. My God is with me. My God is for me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I will silence every voice raised up to accuse me. I am not what the devil says I am. I am not what the devil says I did. I am who Christ says I am. And he says I am his child. I belong to him. I'm a child of the king, the very same spirit that raised him from the the dead. It dwells within me. And whenever the devil accuses and tells you that you're not and what you can't do and that you'll never do, you capture it. You make it obedient to Christ. You draw the sword and you fight back with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. You are not what your enemy says you are. He's just trying to talk you out of living for God out of glorifying God, out of making a difference, being connected to people. He's trying to talk you out of your freedom. And he has a mission to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to God. And he is attacking you with accusations because you matter deeply to God. The good news is you have an advocate. You have an advocate, you have a defense, and he's seated right next to God the Father, and he says, no, that's not true. Let me tell you what is true. There's now no condemnation. She's new in Christ. He's forgiven. She is made new. Oh, but what, what did he do? Look at that, and, and look who she is. That's what she's really like. That's what the devil said, but let me tell you the truth. There is much more. Don't ever let the devil talk you out of doing what God created you to do. My prayer for you is very simple. Because I know. Because I've heard it. Because I've experienced it. And because I hate it. You're not good enough, Graham. You shouldn't be a preacher. You're not even worthy of this marriage. You're not a good example. There are so many people smarter than you. No, no, no. The righteousness of Christ is my righteousness. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. I've been made completely new. I'm imparting spiritual life and I will help you raise up biblically anchored, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, mission-focused world changers. I might not have got it right then, but I'm going to get it right now. Because the spirit of truth dwells within me. The devil is a liar and Jesus is the truth. The devil is a liar and Jesus is the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So when your enemy accuses, this is my prayer for you, that no weapon turned against you will succeed. That by the power of truth, you would take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the good news is, you've got Christ defending you, standing with you, and greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. So Father, today, we ask that you would give us the power of your living word to defeat the lies and accusations of the evil one? Is there anyone today that would say, yes, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to follow even more. I need more help to fight off these accusations with the truth of Jesus. And if that's you, would you acknowledge that right now? You know what, no one can hear you, right? But you acknowledge that before God. Father, I thank you for your living word. I pray, God, that you would quench the fiery darts of accusation. God, for those who feel defeated, who feel unworthy, who feel unlovable, God, you f- who feel full of shame, we thank you, God, that they are not what they did. They are who you say they are. And so we pray today, God, that their minds should be renewed with truth. The devil is a liar, and you are the truth, Jesus, and the truth will set us free. Father, I thank you that this week, We will have another opportunity to sharpen one another to even become closer to you. God, renew our minds. Silence the accusations of the evil one and we thank you for Jesus who defends us. Maybe we we step into the truth of, of who he says that we are and live the calling he's called us to live. May the truth, God, may the truth set your people free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.